Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. Today on the Ether, Into the Interchain, hosted by Shade Protocol with Dean Tribble from Agoric. Let's take a listen. Hey guys, thanks for joining. Uh, if you haven't already, please like and share the, the space. Uh, make sure that people are aware that it's going on. Um, I just mentioned this a couple minutes ago, but we will be giving it probably to like 11.05 just for people to join uh, and get the get the word out about the space space starting so thank you for being early um and just hang tight for for a couple more minutes here morning guys hope everyone's doing well thanks for tuning in guys morning fisco how you doing adults oh you know <laughs> it's a, it's actually a great day i'm i'm very excited for one this interview and two um just for the rest of the day in general yeah i'm sitting next to the to the window over here looking at the snow all freshly falling from yesterday sun is shining which is like 50 percent in minnesota of, of the whole winter so i'm enjoying it always happy when the sun's shining in minnesota dean i see you you just hopped in we'll have all adults bring you up here as a speaker thanks for joining us yeah absolutely Invite to speak. All right, Dean, I just sent an invite your way. I think we'll give it a, a few more minutes here. Uh, make sure the, the word gets out. Make sure that people are joining. Uh, and, then we'll, and then we'll start. So just hang tight. A couple more minutes. Dean, how are you doing this morning? I'm muted is how I'm doing. No, I'm good. <laughs> Had a lovely Thanksgiving vacation, and I'm a happy camper. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we all, we all actually very rarely. Um, took took some time off over Thanksgiving yeah, exactly. just to be, be with family and be a little bit tuned out for, for a couple of days. So that was great. I was Super totally heads down. I paid attention to nothing. <laughs> it was lovely. That's the way to do it. Every once in a while, especially in this space, you got to take at least a day and just, you don't check the phone, you don't check Telegram. Exactly. Just hang out. Exactly. Again, we'll give it a couple more minutes for people to trickle in here. It's usually around 11.05 that we start and... We'll have Carter hop in as well. Yeah, we need to we need to get him to work on a new phone. He's uh, he's always struggling with connectivity issues, unfortunately. <laughs> I almost went and got a phone, but that was a little too much like work during the holiday, so I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's surprising to me how much of a pain it is to to get a new phone. Last time I was at AT and T, I was there for like two hours. <laughs> it's always a lot of work. Hey, Dean, I'm seeing the, the Agoric account uh, in here as a listener. Is anyone going to be speaking from that end? Or if not, we can bring them up um, just as, a, as another speaker, just so, so it's up at the top there. I don't think so. Roland might be around. And, and if so, we might pull him up. But... 
but uh, I'll let them speak for themselves. I don't know. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, the the Gorky is magic from my perspective. It just you know it just does things. <laughs> gotta love it. Gotta love it. Well, I think we can we can probably just hop into it here. I'm sure Carter will get on uh, as soon as he's able to get some connection. But Dean, again, thanks for thanks for joining us. We're super excited to talk with the Agoric team. We've been um, chatting with you guys for a good several months now with everything mm-hmm. regards to IST and partnerships with our stable swap and our decks coming up. So we're super excited about your project and really happy to be partnering with such a solid team uh, as yourself. Just to open, uh, would you mind giving us your your kind of like five bullet point overview of Agoric, your own personal history, how you got into the space, just kind of summarizing uh, up till now? Uh, sure. Um, so I got into the space, well, uh, you know, as, as I usually start, I worked on smart contracts back in 1989 uh, before they had it, before um, uh, Nick named them. Um, and this is really software that's enforcing you know, the terms of a contract-like arrangement between third parties. So, you know, eBay, PayPal, there was one other one that I used today that was sort of another web to smart contract. But it's really this idea that there's an intermediary, you know, software that's, that, that, that's enabling essentially strangers to cooperate. And that vision of enabling lots of strangers to cooperate has been driving us for, for a long time across many different, you know, Web2 and Web3 activities. We started in 2018 when some friends of ours realized that, you know, smart contracts were happening on blockchain, which adds this layer of strong integrity and in some cases, uh, like yours, strong privacy. Um, but adds this layer of strong integrity so you can get rid of those trusted intermediaries in the middle or there's intermediaries in the middle that you may or may not trust. And so, and and they were having security problems and they knew we had an architecture that could solve that. And so that launched Agoric and that's what we've been doing. So there's really two layers of solution we're rolling out here. We have a platform so that millions of developers can program this stuff rather than a few thousand. So, you know, program in JavaScript, the most popular language on the planet, um, to do interesting smart contracts to solve whatever problems they want to solve. And then using that toolkit, using that framework, we built a few uh, critical economic services, in particular IST, the interstable token, for enable, making it easy to, you know, as I say, you need, a, you need a staple token to grease the gears of commerce if you want to be able to roll out lots and lots of businesses working with each other. And in the Cosmos ecosystem, you need that to be a cross-chain stable token. And so that's been what we built with this toolkit. We also have partners, and, and that launched uh, October 27th, the first version of the platform and the first version of, the, of, of IST launched. And then we have um, uh, some partners that have been building additional applications that they will ship once we uh, w- once we enable third-party applications as 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 the system gets battle tested and, and and hardened and so forth to do things like NFT lending and and liquid staking and a variety of other interesting things. So that's what that's sort of the 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 Agoric platform is. You know, long term, it's enabling programmability by mainstream developers to solve vast numbers of mainstream problems, um, as well as the problems that you know, as well as enabling all those people to do to more decentralize their solutions to pretty much everything. Um, and in the short term, IST really is about enabling interchain commerce um, by giving a stable token that can be backed by the assets of the interchain 
by dollars in bank accounts, by um, you know the evolving set of 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 robust sources of currency. Beautiful summary. Yeah, thanks, Dean. I appreciate that. Um, let's let's start on the agoric side, and then we can we can move into a little bit more of an IST focus for most of the podcast, I think, or for most of this sure. talk. But I'm not a developer myself, and I'm sure there's quite a few other people listening here that that aren't developers and maybe don't understand the the technical solution that you've created to allow developers to make smart contracts on the blockchain uh -huh. and write those in JavaScript rather than something standard like Rust or Solidity that, that's kind of typical in the space. What exactly is the solution and how does that, how does that work? In, I love that it's something standard. It. You know, so first off, people should understand that in spite of there being lots of Solidity and lots of, lots of Rust, it's all very much you know, big fish in a small pond, right? There are estimate of, uh, you know, I think it's electric capital estimated. Now this number's probably gone up some, but estimated 6,000 developers worldwide that could build a uh, real smart contract, interesting smart contract on Solidity, you know, and, and, and at most sort of 18,000 across the ecosystems in class Solana and Cosmos and everything else. You know, there are more lawyers than that in Denver. There are, you know, five times as many lawyers than that in San Francisco. I mean, it's just, it's just that you just can't change enough of the world that way if only a few thousand people can get this stuff right. And so, um, so, and it turns out that that writing in Solidity, architecturally, is hazardous, right? And this is one of those things where it's one of those things where, you know, as I said, we got started because in 2017, security experts that had built this infrastructure rolled out smart contracts and lost 30 million dollars. So they fixed the bug, and then they lost another 30 million dollars, right? You know, we've had had basic bugs in smart contracts on. Uh, primarily Solidity because it's the biggest, you know, it's the biggest fish in the current small pond. Um, but but we've paid nine billion dollars in losses for reentrancy bugs that simply should not be possible. It's a hazard that simply shouldn't be something that the programmer needs to worry about. And yet, architecturally, it's sort of fundamental to these infrastructures. So that you know, so so from the point of view of people who are not developers, understanding that. The platform you're building on, the tool set you're using, can truly contribute to how risky it is, how easy it is to 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 um, create something good, and how easy it is to create something that can scale or that, that that is easy for other people to extend. And the problem with things like Solidity and some of the fundamental architectures that, that have fallen onto other systems like Tezos and others is you know, these reentrancy bugs are sort of, you know, intrinsic to the architecture and kind of insurmountable. And so it's one of those things where it'll continue to have a lot of value over time, um, but it's really not a great place to innovate. Now, things like Rust and others are better, but now you have the, what, what, what's the next, the, the next thing? Okay. Oops, sorry, I just dropped my phone. So, you know, JavaScript has 15, 17 million developers worldwide. Um, now, not all of them are experts by any stretch of the imagination, but if it's only, you know, 5% are experts, that's still about a million developers um, that are that, that can build large-scale critical applications in JavaScript. And JavaScript controls literally trillions of dollars every day through, through you know, uh, uh, Salesforce, through Bloomberg terminals, through, you know, all these, all these infrastructure systems, banking systems, et cetera, everyone uses it in one form or another. Um, but part of the reason for that 
both popularity and success, which are you know related but not quite the same, is is that the architecture of JavaScript allows building things out of components. So what that means is you know so so React is an example of a component framework for JavaScript that developers out there use to build applications. So in React, it's a user interface framework. So I can have someone that, some expert creates a slideshow that will allow pictures to go, you know, for me to scroll through a bunch of pictures on my, on my phone or on my website. And someone builds the, the credit card component. And I, as a developer, can plug those together and the credit card component can't break the slideshow. The slideshow can't break the credit card component, but I can ship an application that now sells my art. So even though I'm not an expert programmer, you know, I might be good, but I'm not good enough to do those. I can take those components and safely compose them to ship a new application. And that, that is the magic of software development. That is critical. That's what enables literally exponential growth, where every time someone produces a component, other people can build on the world of components that pre-existed and use that one new component that that person did. And so every month, there's more components to build on. So there are more, you know, there are literally millions of components in React that people can use to build applications with. And so if there's a problem you have, there's a good chance that someone built a library or built a tool or built a component to do that. And the architecture of, you know, of React or Vue or, or some, of the, some of the frameworks inside of JavaScript enable that composition in a really, in, in a really structured way. Now, JavaScript per se is very malleable. JavaScript sort of out of the box is very malleable. And people sort of have this historical memories of scars of security issues that come out of that malleability where, where you know, anyone can say, you know, display a string. You know, I'm going to call a function to display a string. And some attacker in their library will slide in a, well, when someone says to display a string, first, go and grab their public key file or their private key file and send it to another country and then display the string. And now suddenly I've got a security hole, right? I've got, because someone was able to give inappropriate authority to a library that, or a component that everyone else is using. But one of the things that we've done over the last literally 15 years was add into the JavaScript standard the elements to be able to lock down the, 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 the language, and I'm, what I mean is to be able to lock it down in any JavaScript implementation out there. So browsers, Node.js, um, embedded systems in light bulbs, all of those sorts of things can run this library to produce what we refer to as hardened JavaScript, which has the ability to you know, take arbitrary code from arbitrary party doing whatever the heck they want and run it in a nice confined container with just a bit of you know, just a bit of authority so it can access its purse and it can send messages to, you know, one other person or whatever it is. And now I can run it safely on shared infrastructure without it being able to break the system. And that critical ability enables us to benefit from the composability, the ability to grab components built by third parties and build on the work of others but combine them together into, into rich applications, even though, you know, th that are sort of with components that are safely isolated from each other. And so now that just unlocks an, a whole new level of, you know, software collaboration. And, and it's what, what we need to get to that exponential growth that, that, that 
in 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 the blockchain space that people have seen in other application spaces using JavaScript. That was an amazing answer, Dean, just in terms of compo compo composability and as well as like the number of developers. Carter here, by the way, just hopping on one of the hey, research protocol. One, one of my questions is when, whenever I first hear about like an innovative take or, or new angle for a blockchain or a smart contract framework, mm -hmm. my question is always like when it's this good, why didn't someone do this sooner? <laughs> Why was the default, you know, re rewrite the wheel or go with a, a lower level language? Why do you believe it's taken this long for a smart contract a group of builders to say, wait a second, why the heck have we not been tapping into JavaScript right. and its map of community? That, that's my question. What, what are the risks and trade-offs and cultural values that have pushed us away from this, this, this angle right. happening? So there's, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of key things that have that impact. So um, the first is, you know, the, the basics of blockchain, right? Smart contracts predates blockchain by a lot. And that's, as I said, software that's uh, sort of orchestrating a business workflow between strangers, right? Um, but what blockchains bring, you know, and brought 10 years later is, you know, the gold standard is multiple machines in different jurisdictions controlled by different parties, all coming to consensus, coming to agreement about the data, Dean has a hundred bucks in his account. You know, the actions, Dean went and bid in an auction and then withdrew his, withdrew his bid. And sort of the consequences, the result of computation, you know, or choices, if you will. So either Dean won the auction or Dean got his money back, but not both. And it turns out it's really hard to get multiple independent machines to come to agreement about that sort of thing. And one of the things you need to do that is you need deterministic execution where given the same inputs, multiple computers in different jurisdictions operated by different people will come to the same answers and they, then they can vote to agree that you came to that answer, I came to that answer. Did you come to that answer? Great. All right. We all came to that answer. We're good. Right? Um, and if you know a third of us did not come to that answer, now we have a problem. And so that's called deterministic execution and that's hard. Right. And or at least it's hard if you didn't do that from the beginning. And so the reason Solidity came out was because it was a simple enough language that they could easily make it deterministic so that you could run it on a thousand machines and get the same answer. Right. And that turns out to be hard, again, if you didn't do it from the beginning or you didn't you know, sort of take it as a deliberate requirement. And so they made, you know, in Ethereum, they made some fundamental architecture decisions that that might have helped determinism or might have helped simple programs to be simple, but made it hard to do composition, right? The more you break things down in solidity, um, the, the higher risk you have of these reentrancy bugs and that sort of thing. But that didn't matter when stuff was first starting out. And the main thing you got was determinism. Most programming languages are, are not naturally deterministic if people didn't take that as a hard requirement. Um, Go in particular is, as I would say, maliciously non-deterministic. They deliberately tried to be non-deterministic. And so it was, you know, an important struggle as Cosmos got their, you know, you know, worked their way around that and came to disciplines where they could use Go to build a robust uh, infrastructure. But similarly, you know, Rust and, and, um, and JavaScript were not deterministic. So it took, 
experts, you know, and as I said, we have multiple people that have been in the JavaScript Standards Committee for a long time and have done other language design and have thought about doing deterministic systems for a long time and that sort of thing. So it just took a lot of work to be able to lock down um, and, and in the hardened JavaScript so that hardened JavaScript not only lets you run third-party software confined in a way that, 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 that it can't escape and damage the system, but also run it in a way that is deterministic. And so we are able to run the same JavaScript program on multiple machines and get the same answer and use the same amount of gas and garbage collect uh, um, consistently. So even if they garbage collect differently, they come up with the same result. And that um, is a lot of engineering work. Um, we, as I said, we've been working towards that in the JavaScript standards for a long time to be able to lock all those elements down because usually non-determinism is also a potential source of, of security issues. Um, and so, so we just got to the point of being able to do that. Various other systems have tried to add JavaScript because it's obvious, you know, if you want millions of developers, you got to meet them where they're at and give them the language they're already good at. Um, but they didn't have the, you know, they don't have the, you know, depth of, of, of embedding in the JavaScript community and the JavaScript technology. Um, uh, and so, you know, they weren't able to pull that off well. Now, there are more, you know, influenced by some of this work, there are more JavaScript implementations that are reasonably predictable. And I know there's one that, you know, for example, on Near Protocol that they've rolled out, but it's still, they're not really taking JavaScript as the native language of smart contracts, where I just upload a JavaScript program that looks like a single file with a start function, and that's, that's what my, my, my smart contract is, and here's the, you know, here's the hook I want you to run when a new bidder comes to the auction or whatever it is. Here's the JavaScript function I want you to run when a new bidder comes to the auction. Instead, they are compiling a JavaScript engine to WASM and then running that. And that's pretty fragile because if your JavaScript engine is equivalent, works identically to what the last version did, but it's a different, but it compiles differently, well, you know, it might produce the same answer, but now it runs with different amount of gas and you have divergence. And so, you know, there are issues with doing it that way. It gets you out and into the market with JavaScript, but it's not quite the right solution for a robust chain. And so we're doing something where it's really JavaScript is, is the native execution. And that means that, you know, we can change what happens underneath, but still have, you know, the gas be the same and have the storage and memory be the same and all that sort of stuff. I, I've noticed that a lot of the JavaScript frameworks that have emerged um, are because people need to be able to have a front end talk to a blockchain in, in a convenient and easy way. So people are building their kind of one-off smart contract, J, like JavaScript frameworks, trying to handle it. Whereas it seems like Agoric's really trying to do it ground up. But I, one, one, one thing is like, uh, in the world of like embedded systems, people use languages like C and C++ and like Rust is kind of emerging too because of how, how lean it is and how low level it is. So I'm curious, like how much does this hardened version of JavaScript, how much overhead does that have? And do you foresee that long-term impacting smart contracts in terms of like gas costs? Just like, I, I just kind of want to dive into the trade-offs of JavaScript uh, in terms of like overhead, which Dean, you're on mute, Mary, not right now. You're trying to respond. Thank you. I was trying to respond. Um, what is it? Rule fifty three. I can't remember. Which is if any anything that's programmed will be programmed in JavaScript. No, I don't know one of those. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, uh, so uh, we're actually using a JavaScript engine, which is an embedded systems JavaScript uh, by Modable. Those are people who did you know who do um, 
hardware, you know, came out of Apple doing hardware control and have now been running, building, you know, a, a JavaScript standards compliant implementation um, for embedded systems. And it runs in washing machines and dryers and light bulbs and, you know, emergency, you know, medical equipment and various other things. Right. So JavaScript is being used for embedded systems. And the standard, there's a separate standards group related called TC53 for JavaScript for embedded systems. And it took as the standard JavaScript that it would use, it took the hardened JavaScript as its spec. So, so it turns out for embedded systems, you would much rather just know up front that, that programs aren't going to come along and change what it means to iterate an array because it can be built and compiled and put into ROM and all that sort of thing. So, you know, so historically, interpreters actually produce much smaller footprints um, for embedded systems than compilers do. You know, not for every application, but because your 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 interpreted source code is 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 is, is smaller footprint. So, from a footprint point of view, there is just not an issue. It's it's not an issue. Gotcha. Um, well, thanks thanks for elaborating on that. I was it was just I was just curious yeah. of the overhead trade offs, but it sounds like it's already a specific embedded standard such that it should be pretty exactly pretty lightweight. Yeah, yeah I mean, and the same JavaScript runs on Node and in browsers, so you're programming in the same environment as you're building an application with cloud-based you know, gaming engine and a UI that's talking to the chain and the contracts on the chain, they can all be written with the same libraries and frameworks. And I should talk some about the, 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 the framework as well, because that's, that's also, as I said, there's people have done JavaScript and then there's, what do you do with the framework? Yeah, well, I, I, would, I would be super curious if you wanna yeah. dive into that a little bit. So, you know, first an analogy for people that are not you know, deep into, into the world of JavaScript, right? JavaScript has obviously been on browsers for what, 15, 20 years. Um, and, um, uh, and experts, when it first came out, right? Experts could do some pretty cool stuff, but it was a lot of work. Having built some of those systems, it was a lot of work to be able to do cool stuff in, in browsers, you know, that, that, that would talk to websites, you know, the, the infinite scrolling and the, and the you know, nice drop down menus and all that sort of stuff. But then frameworks like React and Vue came out, and they provided, you know, the, the object abstractions, the component model, the rules for plugging things together, such that, you know, six months later, beginners could do a more responsive, prettier, more interactive, adaptable to your screen size application than experts could the year before, because the framework was a, well-suited to graphical composition, and because you could build on components that other people had done. So one person does the infinite scroll where you just keep scrolling and it keeps loading from the server more pictures, right? And now I can, you know, and, and I can embed that in my, in my application, and, you know, even though I'm a beginner, and suddenly I've got beautiful infinite scroll in my, in my, in my art sales website, right? And so that, the power of a framework is, what took JavaScript to the next level? And that's an element of the architecture of JavaScript. Solidity and Rust don't have that ability. They can do modularization, and that's really useful. And it's, it's critical for doing what I would refer to as, as systems programming. But they can't you know, grab arbitrary code from someone else and run it in the same environment. They can't, in one compiled module, have different levels of security, where, where we have a framework that like React is for user interface, you know, our affordances are not, are not about mouse clicks and rendering pretty images um, and, 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 and good interactions with users. It's about 
pricing and trade and exchange and escrow and all those things that every business wants as its default wiring, but every programmer building a smart contract shouldn't have to do from scratch, right? In most of, of smart contracts right now, you're building every module where you're kind of building from scratch with a little bit of library, but you can't safely grab components that other people built because you are completely vulnerable to the behavior of those components because it's just the nature of the, 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 the way that compilation works, right? I grab this component, it's a library. When, it, when I compile it into my application or my, my smart contract, that library that I got, and maybe I looked at it, maybe I didn't, has all the authority that I have. It can do anything any part of my contract can do. It can reach the keys that I can sign with. It can reach the lists of transactions, those kinds of things. And, you know, and that's, and that's sort of, you, that means you're sort of exposed to those components and you're at risk of those components. That reduces the ease with which you can safely put things together. The components aren't these nice isolated things that plug together. They're instead bits of source code that you're basically including, um, you know, possibly not having looked at them, possibly not having security reviewed them, et cetera. Now, those components are, for the most part, great, right? I mean, we have, we have or, or sorry, those libraries are, for the, for the most part, great, but because they can't incorporate third-party components easily, because they can't grow easily, they tend to be fairly low level. You tend to operate at a low level of abstraction in the system. That's almost inevitable, right? Every system starting out starts there. You know, that's what, you know, CGI and web scripts and, and C programs and 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 um, uh, that sort of thing written for the web, but uh, you know, but but it's um, but you know, eventually it comes along where you get a component system, and that just gets you a lot more traction. It gets you a lot more ability to build on the work of others, and that's been our focus, and that's what we're that that's that's what we're targeting, and that's the main thing you need to enable. You know, fintech developers that they don't really care about blockchain, but they care about solving an interesting problem. And here's a toolkit that they can do that for. That's that's really interesting to me, specifically because you're you're allowing yourself to build on, like you just said, the the past history of others to create a system that's very very accessible. Exactly. Um, I I think we've had a, I think you you've done an exceptional job of. Explaining as to why Agoric has chosen the path that they've chosen, right? They've chosen the path to to be able to be this accessible, very, very easy onboardable system that anyone can come and work on to create the future of, of what we want to create. So I guess in in that specifically, what what is the interchange to you, Dean? And, and how does IP fit into that picture if it's so easily accessible? Right. by everyone to come in right so you know and and, and at cosmoverse in 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 colombia i showed on a slide of you know what happened in 20 2013 that's important to the to to the cosmos ecosystem mm. and and markham released the uh uh digital electronic rights and javascript paper which was about you know how to do pre-blockchain right this is 2013 right pre pre-ethereum um distributed uh, you know, so individual sovereign machines using secure protocols between each other to talk about electronic rights and create distributed electronic commerce. 
And there are two important things. One is, of course, that laid the groundwork for what do we need in JavaScript to be able to lock it down so we can build reliable components in this kind of environment. And it had a lot of a lot of the elements of architecture that show up in our programming API now. Um, but it also had this model of of these independent sovereign machines all communicating and cooperating with different trust relationships and responsibility, different performance characteristics, et cetera, um, and different technology bases where they're just they're just related to each other by the async messaging that you see flowing among these machines. Well, from our perspective, right, a blockchain is just a machine. It's a machine built out of agreement, out of the consensus engine. But but from the perspective of all the other machines in the world, it's just a machine that's sending us messages. And it's sending us messages because, you know, 100 machines, 100 low-level machines agreed that this was what, you know, uh, um, what Shade or Agoric or The Hub or Osmosis or whatever issued as a message to me. But once they do, from my perspective, it's a message from, from Osmosis, right? Um, and so that model was part of the inspiration of IBC and part of the inspiration of Cosmos. I mean, that, that's explicitly, that was that website, the Elang website, was one of the things that Zucky and Jay and, and Ethan found as a source of technical inspiration for how they should approach this. And so we have been, you know, fo following that model of islands of simple synchronous programming, you know, in a sea of asynchronous communication with different trust boundaries and, 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 and different infrastructure on all these different nodes, you know, since since the 80s, right? You know, for, for, for quite a long time. And so that's just native to our our programming model and our programming architecture, where for example, fundamentally I can send an async message to a purse to withdraw a payment, deposit that into another person. Now I've done a transfer. And that's, you know, two lines of JavaScript code, but it doesn't care if one of those purses was a remote reference on another chain and the other was, was a purse in my cloud service, right? It will orchestrate underneath the async messaging to cause that transfer to happen securely and you get a promise that resolves in JavaScript using the same mechanism that millions of programmers use all the time once the deposit has successfully happened and if and only if that deposit is of the assets that the payee was expecting, right? And so that model of having async messaging means that we map across the async communication that you get over IBC relatively straightforwardly. And we, we came up with this idea of DIBC, dynamic IBC, where, you know, if I've got a new IBC protocol, I can easily deploy a new smart contract that's able to talk to it on multiple chains potentially. And now I'm doing, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a remote transaction or, you know, remote uh, a portfolio rebalancing or, you know, or Oracle messaging or whatever it is that I've come up with my new IBC protocol for. And so we're very, we're big fans of IBC. <laughs> especially, you know, it is critical that from the perspective of one machine, the other machine just looks like a source of messages. So we as a client don't care what infrastructure it is built on because you can't know what infrastructure it's built on. And so the nice thing is, you know, we can have millions of programmers able to build smart contracts, but they're using assets that are implemented in Go or Rust or whatever it is on other on other platforms, and that's fine, right? I mean, that's that's the power of abstraction that that enables you know the Cosmos ecosystem to to sort of not only launch but thrive and evolve over time as technologies uh, change. Very very interesting. So it's just it's the it's the ability to have no care as to where anything comes from and just 
have the ability to communicate regardless. It's all about loose coupling, yes. What you want to do is you want to rely on other systems for exactly what you can rely on them for and nothing more. Yep. (laughs) You know, and that's important. You know, for for example, there's this move programming language that it has this model in the language. And again, you know, the world does not need another language, right? But it has this model in the language of transferring something. The problem is it relies on having a shared infrastructure so you can trust that we'll actually do the transfer. When you're doing it across multiple chains, you do not have shared infrastructure. And so they fundamentally have a model that breaks down when you're across multiple chains. Yeah. Right? And it's insurmountable. It's part of their model. You can't, nothing you can fix about that. Yeah. And so why, why rely on it when you know that you probably can't? So just create exactly. a solution that, mm-hmm. that takes that into account. Very, exactly. very, very... I guess subtle, but also <laughs> quite quite beautiful at the same time, right? I I guess I I have a loaded question for you, Dean, and you can answer this on a personal note or yeah. a a professional note. But mm-hmm. where where does privacy? Because I'm biased, obviously. Where <laughs> yeah. does privacy fit into this? And you and obviously you've been around, like yep. you said, working on smart contracts since the '80s and '90s. So yep. so where does privacy fit in for you? And and how do you see that moving forward? Right. So, so that's a great question. Um, and I'll answer it at three different levels, but this is about both <laughs> Dean and Agor. Um, so, so, you know, Zuko or Zcash was our first investment, right? We completely believe in privacy. It's, it, it is, you know, I mean, what's funny is I predate, you know, I was doing software before the internet. And <laughs> so all of this stuff that people are used to this level of surveillance, that, that wasn't a thing when I first started doing software. To, so to me, it's an outrage, right? It's not a thing I'm just casually used to. Um, yeah. So to me, privacy is normal. Um, and, uh, you know, and it is something that we both should expect personally and require from a business point of view, right? Um, in, to a first approximation, the only things that shouldn't be private are government actions from my perspective. Um, but so, so we know it's necessary. Now, the thing is blockchain technology, you know, our first focus was let's get high integrity execution before we get confidential execution. Those are two, you know, r- r- there's, there's integrity is, does it do what I expect? It could do it completely publicly, but does it do something that I can rely on so I can cooperate with a stranger through this orchestration? And that was the thing that mm. we were bringing to the table and other people had expertise in the privacy element. So we are currently as a stack, not doing anything about privacy, but we have had it in the back of our heads all along, where, for example, the first couple of layers we would like to add is being able to use things like Zek as collateral for ISD, the stable token, so that you can have shielded assets that you can then leverage into being able to participate in an open marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but all the other mechanisms that people are working on, you know, you guys, Anoma, you know, the 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 the... Uh, um, I, there, there's sort of a list of three or four that Penumbra, et cetera, you know, all of those are wonderful. All of those are awesome. I want to, you know, be able to leverage those in our environment, both for the low hanging fruit where we're orchestrating using high integrity execution that's not confidential um, to orchestrate things over IBC. But eventually we definitely support, um, you know, zero knowledge and, and other technologies for having more private computation. Um, and I was going to add one more thing here. Oh, well, so, so, so those are things that we, that we certainly, you know, care about and would like to add from an, uh, from an API architecture point of view, we have generally 
uh, um, uh, we have we have we have worked to construct all of our APIs so that they are coherent. If everything was private. Right, so it's not wow. just the I drop notification. You know, my transaction moved a little bit, so I drop a notification in a public place. It's like no, my trend. You know, my 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 a pool a, a transaction happened on the pool. I notify a particular subscription that is tracking the state of this pool. From the perspective of the smart contract, it's got an object that it's telling. Here's what the the pool changed. It doesn't know whether that's a object that then broadcasts it to the world or reports it privately to the owner of the pool. That's not its problem. That's an architecture for the notification infrastructure. We're we're in a environment of, for example, running a a consortium chain version of this infrastructure, a private chain version of this infrastructure, or a zero knowledge execution version of this infrastructure. All of those are increasing privacy that you would like to have, you know, if I've managed to secure access to the base computation, you would like the abstraction to not just then give it all away, right? The the model in in um, in a lot of the the you know smart contract APIs are eh, it's all out in the public anyway, so I'm just gonna you know announce all these at a easily guessable address, and anyone can ask about these values. Well, okay, that that makes it hard to evolve towards a future where that computation uh, runs privately, and it certainly makes it hard to write components that can be used in a spectrum of high integrity public chains on through private execution. And so we very much designed the APIs so that they could be used in a private context. That I'm just going to jump in and yeah. say that's very, that's, that's very encouraging. I think so many public blockchains out there, even through 2022, as we continue to see new layer ones get built, everyone just continues to inherit the assumption that total transparency is the yeah. optimal entity, which yeah. I believe that there should be transparency for public goods and privacy for individuals Absolutely. And, and compliance tied to both, right? Like there, there has yep. to be a path for that. And yep. the builders, builders that are understanding that we need to have these layers of abstraction and that privacy is not a, a black and white thing, but that there's granularity involved and that commerce is, is tied to that privacy and it's, 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 it's integral to the future of, of commerce and Web3, uh, I think there'll be great reward for that in the future. Um, so very, it's very encouraging to hear that Agoric has attempted at least to build a foundation, maybe not yet fully realized, that will yep. integrate into that granular and composable privacy future that I, I think is the key to unlocking the full value of a decentralized future. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much behind that, you know, Zuko is is on our board and, you know, and, and Zcash uh, uh, Foundation, Bootstrap Foundation has a lot of BLD and they're very interested in getting privacy integrated with Agoric as well. Um, we've been working with you guys exactly to be able to, you know, encourage and leverage interoperability with private, with, with privacy focused chains and so forth. So, yeah, very much interested in that. That's amazing. I'm going to hand it to to Fisco here, because I know we got 17 minutes left. I know he's chomping at the bit for the specific question, so I'll, I'll hand it over to him. Well, Dean, first of all, thanks for all, thanks for all of that, all of that information on Agoric and all of that background on the tech solutions that you're building there. I know as far as what you're mentioning with shared protocol partnerships and the conversations we've been having, stablecoins is really on on the front front line of all of those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I did want to steer the steer the talk towards the end here to IST. If mm -hmm. you could give the community that's listening a, a summary of what exactly you're building with IST and sure. the future vision there. 
And then with about 10 minutes left, we'll open the floor for an AMA <laughs> just for people to ask you additional questions. Six minutes it is. All right. So um, so IST stands for interstable token or the interprotocol is it, it, you know, sort of what we call it. Um, and we we had always planned to do that for the Agoric ecosystem, right? We've got, you know, sort of our mantra was build fast, earn fast, where when you're going to mainstream developers, it's, you know, you're building in JavaScript, you're using your the you know the most popular development you know, language, but also the most, most popular development tools and practice and so forth. You get done and now you've got to deploy somewhere. Right with Web two, you could just deploy to the internet and connect connect directly to your to your um, uh, customers. But Web three, you need a place. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, right, Ethereum was not an acceptable place from a infrastructure security and safety point of view. And so we needed a place. But you know, uh, Agoric comes from the Greek word agora, which is the open marketplace. Right, you need a you need a marketplace for businesses to go launch and thrive in. We discovered a few thousand years ago that that having a stable token, having something that acted like a currency in a marketplace was, you know, grease for the gears of commerce, right? It was a critical element that simplified um, deploying a new business, deploying multiple businesses that compete with each other, that cooperate with each other, and especially for having long-term contracts, right? Most money in the world, you know, is backed up by long-term mortgages and long-term contra contracts in, in, you know, real estate or business or what have you. That's a big part of stabilizing an economy. And all of these chains where what you're paying is a volatile asset, like ETH or whatever, I mean, you can do it, but it's like paying Apple shares for your rent, right? It works, but it's not very efficient because I don't know what my rent is going to cost in a year. Right, so you can't do these long-term contracts. You can't do predictable business modeling that fits well with with traditional business. So we knew we needed a stable token. We started building that out for Agoric already in our framework, and then we realized that with our whole IBC first and IBC integration, um, we could, you know, and we were already at at a place where. We were planning to bring over Atom as collateral um, to back it using a CDP style model and all that sort of thing. And then it was actually Sunny that went, oh my God, I, you know, Atom backed stable token. We just desperately need this in the Cosmos ecosystem. So we really looked at it. And yeah, 10 plus billion dollar ecosystem that didn't have an adequate um, uh, 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 you know, collateral backed stable token to unlock the asset value of that, of that ecosystem. Okay. So that was sort of how that how it got turned into, right, this needs to focus on solving this problem for the interchain because it's not just about commerce on Agoric, it's about commerce across this new um, interconnected world that we have. And so that so so we shifted the focus a little bit, but it was the same technology we're already building. It was just focused on this this larger community and, and larger picture. You know, so since then we learned a couple of things or we, we realized a couple of things. What you really want for a stable token is, is for it to be evolvable over time as your best mechanisms for producing value evolve over time, right? So, so you, want, you want to be able to back a dollar parity stable token with dollars in a bank account. You want to be able to back it with digital assets created on multiple chains. You want to be able in the future to back it with what's called delta neutral, which relies on a rich uh, perpetual options market. You know, you want to be able to back it in the future after that with something we haven't even dreamed up yet. But you know you need rapid evolution 
and safe composition to be able to extend and evolve this thing in a way that manages the risk, ensures solvency on a continuing basis, while still enabling the system to grow and add more mechanisms. So, so the focus really became: this is a to you know, this is designed as a mechanism for the interchain, so that multiple mechanisms for producing value can be integrated into a single stable token that I can use for multiple purposes, right? So I don't have to go, oh, I'm going to trade on this application. Which of the 25 stable tokens, including five different versions of USDC brought over different bridges, am I as a consumer supposed to have in order to do this trade? That's nuts. That's like every other booth at the swap meet having a different currency and you have to barter for an exchange while you're trying to buy a carpet or a, or, or a lamp, right? Um, and so that th the goal is to unify all of those things so these different sources of, of, of assets and wealth can be combined in a risk-managed framework that, you know, the people that are expert at this stuff can really help ensure has long-term solvency and long-term um, uh, stability or non-volatility, really, so that people can rely on it across the interchange. 100% agreed with everything everything you just said there. And that's one of the pieces with Silk that we're, that we're mm -hmm. really envisioning and really pushing for in the future here is that is that ability to evolve to quickly change uh, basket and composition and redemption pools to reflect what the safest mechanisms are, what mm -hmm. the what the most valuable mechanisms are, or however that works. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep, 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 absolutely. And you know, I I I claim that it will be faster to do that in JavaScript than in Shade, but you get the privacy, so you know we want to be able to integrate so we get the best of both worlds there. Um, and you know, our focus. You know, from a Gorks perspective, we have the infrastructure for doing the next generation of applications and commerce with rapid evolution of not just currency, but sort of everything else, right? You know, the ability for, you know, a relatively junior programmer to come in and do a small business and roll it out safely and not get taken to the cleaner. And so for us, it's all about making sure we have a rich, thriving economy with, you know, with cross chain economics. That economy is richer if we have you know, a stable token that works across all these different systems, that will make it easier to use DeFi on Shade, use, you know, use the order book on, say, use, you know, injective options, you, you know, that I then trade over an asset, you know, to to to, to Osmosis, to buy a sommelier, whatever, right? You know, and 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 it's that kind of interoperability that 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 having a good stable token that works across all of those can really help. One one thing, Dean, from this this conversation before we transition to the AMA, it's it's very clear that the vision of Agoric is extremely mapped out. But one of the most complicated parts of any sort of open source project or protocol is as time goes on and more and more people join in, um, governance can become complicated because there's there's diff different yeah. visions, right? I'd yeah. be super interested because I know Agoric actually has put a lot of thought into to governance. I'd love to do another conversation sometime whether it's into the entertain on youtube or another twitter space to talk about agoric's governance and, and its uh -huh. vision for that. but we, we don't we don't have enough time for that today but i just want to i just want to jump in there and uh i'd be happy to talk about yes cool. dcf is very independent the interchain econ committee is very independent um and 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 we all find a way to work together where we're bringing different perspectives to the table um and it yes it's 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 already gotten extremely decentralized it's very nice Awesome. Well, Fisco, if you want to open things up here for AMA, for, for Dean, any questions from the community, I'll, I'll leave it to you. 
Yeah, guys, we'll, I'll have you just raise, it, raise a hand here, request to speak, um, whatever works. If anyone in the audience has questions, Dalton can bring you up as, as a speaker here to push questions forward. But again, as we, as we wait for questions, come up here. Thanks, Dean, for, for joining us and the Agoric team. We appreciate all the, all the information and the in-depth in, uh, explanation of Agoric solution and of IST. And we're, we're super excited to be partnering with such a solid team. And we really believe that just what you were saying, this interoperability and kind of op optionality for several different stables that solve, solve different uh, solutions is going to be super important. And we're really excited about what, what you're building. So for everyone that's interested in Agoric, follow them at Agoric or follow Dean at Dean Tribble. <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of the, the show for you guys. But if there's anyone interested in hopping up and asking questions, feel free to raise And check out Inter.Trade as well. <laughs> yes i i will say too uh if we don't have anybody that does want to ask a question i would i would ask dean as well do you have anything specifically on your mind that you would want to ask any of us um regarding shade uh or anything that we are are building with silk as well yeah i'm definitely very interested in in the details of silk um what are the what are the set of assets that you are planning to back it with over time and what are the what are the mechanisms that you you're you're rolling out initially and then you're looking at longer term so because silk isn't pegged to a single sovereign currency we actually can't have a safe psm module until all the things that are being tracked by the or uh, the oracle are represented as on-chain assets with with sufficient liquidity so out of the gates, we are forced to essentially just use the over-collateralized model that everyone's very familiar with, but we have the differentiated properties, of course, with privacy and the decentralized basket right. in terms of Oracle tracking. In terms of assets, um, there's, there's three pieces whenever you're considering quality collateral. You're looking at short-term compressed, compressed volatility. Um, you're looking at the the depths of liquidity. I mean, volatility is kind of a function of liquidity, but we'll, we'll just say that that counts. And then you're looking at smart contract and bridge risk. Um, and if uh, under those types of three categories, there's like, there's lots of different risk frameworks that are like, very difficult to come up with. But at the end of the day, there really isn't that many quality assets under that <laughs> paradigm. I'm sure you're kind of <laughs> aware of that. Um, I would say Adam, Adam is, is a great option. And secret is one that has a little more risk, but it's kind of the most localized asset that does have a good amount of, you know, at least centralized exchange liquidity, not necessarily as much localized liquidity, which is something we're solving mm -hmm. when we're launching our own decks. So those are really the two we're going to be focused on. Um, any sort of vault that doesn't have, like, that involves higher risk, of course, you can increase the collateralization ratio mm -hmm. and you want to have a much, much smaller vault in terms of how much can be minted out in order to yep. handle mm -hmm. that, that type of risk. So that's the, the current, the current framework is no PSM module straight over collateralization and like a very, very conservative approach. Um, and I'm excited to get more assets on there eventually. It's just, we want to do it very patiently and, and, and with the, with proper research. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. We, it it was interesting to make the decision to start with PSM on IST because we knew people wanted to have you know. A, we were already seeing stable coins leaking in, but we ended up with you know five different versions of them, and so get the consolidation piece in place, get it out there, and then grow the leverage component both by incorporating 
you know, uh, protocols like Silk, but also by providing CDP directly uh, in JavaScript. Now, how do you do how do you do liquidations? I'm curious how how you do Oracle and how you do liquidation. Because yeah, especially so, for zero knowledge. So Oracle right now uh, is it's it's an interesting problem. We currently use Band Protocol, which we're we're not a huge fan of, so we're exploring having multiple oracles, and we essentially have a um, a rollback solution in the event that Band Protocol ever essentially falls off the map. Silk goes from being a dynamic stablecoin to instead a static stablecoin that was tracking its last known price points. All the mechanisms track that static price point. Once the oracle comes backs up. There is a, a re reinitialization process with the weights such that there's no jerk in terms of price that an arbor could like front run. So we have we have a whole rollback solution and static solution if, if band protocol ever goes down. And we're also working on um, sanity checks on band protocol, um, where you essentially have you know your centralized data solutions to sanity check the decentralized solution, not as a means to like change the target peg. But to ensure that we're we're properly tracking and um, anytime the oracle goes down or becomes finicky, so I'd be super interested if you have other oracles in the cosmos you'd recommend because we really would like to have an aggregated solution uh, across multiple oracles. Um, and then concerning liquidation, liquidation currently has a essentially a, a stability like a classical stability pool model where someone can trigger trigger liquidation um, where silk gets deposited in the smart contracts burned and that collateral gets sent to the uh, stability pool and distributed out equally to the participants so it's like a, a slightly more democratic and equitable version of um, how anchor was handling some of its its liquidations and I'm not the we have a precise, we have a group of people that are the Shadeland liquidation experts. So that's my high level understanding of it. <laughs> um, I'd love to forward you to the exact group of three developers that have been, have been building it out if you want. Definitely. Details, but that's my high level explanation. Good. Yeah, definitely forward me. That sounds interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for the I know Carter and I have to hop here for, yep, for a Twitter space. We've got immediately following. So thank you again for, for joining. We appreciate the, the knowledge bomb that we just got there. Always, always appreciated and good to talk to you. Thanks for yeah, joining. Dean, Thanks Dean I'm going to send you uh, – actually, never mind. We have a shared, we have a shared Slack channel, so I can, yeah. always just forward, I can always just forward your information there. Yep, yep, yep. Great, guys. Thanks a lot. And thank you all, listeners. Have a good one, dude. Have a great yeah, day, thanks. guys. Awesome. Jimmy, I saw that you requested if you want to DM any of us in our chats, um, we will answer your question. Unfortunately, we do have to jump for another Twitter space with Umi. Um, so please send your message in the Shade Protocol Discord, Telegram, uh, whatever, uh, I guess, channel that you prefer. Uh, just for everyone else, we will be back the same time next week, 11 a.m., and we will be hosting Orbital Command on Into the Inner Chain and discussing a lot, a lot of interesting topics uh, with them and, and what they've been involved in in the past uh, year, year and a half. So very excited for that conversation. Um, look forward to that. We'll announce it later this week slash early next week. But uh, again, thank you everyone for joining and, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Into the Interchain, hosted by Shade Protocol with Dean Tribble from Agoric.
Recorded on Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Now, with Spark IBC enabled. Put your hands up like you got a couple questions. Ain't no misdirection, just a bunch of flexing. All aggressive, insane from all directions. Smoke rolls in when I start a session. Plank canvas, blaze up the handlers. Rocking back and forth like I got the van stuck. Don't grind the clutch, mind your hush. Put your mask on and don't touch the antlers. Feeling untouchable when I'm on the verse. But in the universe, I'm just writing some words. Enticing these nerds while I'm laying out my memoirs. Like, remember when I had to fight the centaur? I'm a book nerd, let me take you on the journey Lost in the labyrinth, searching out the lost fern For certain, got the taxes included Acting like a writer, never felt secluded Just another fixed game of try my luck Go lighten up dog. it could always be worse Unless you're in the back of a hearse Then you're dead or putting in new speakers It's a toss up, driver or just tweakers Don't stress yo, I've done the research Living life like a bunch of fucking lemurs It's a remake, off the cutting floor we take A little bit of poison and put it in the cheesecake Tastes great, less filling, less stress, more killing As he blew the cornerstone out the building And the box came tumbling down all humble Feels like we're drowning in a little puddle Rebuttal, I should be taking off in the shuttle Getting high in space with the Hubble Spaces.